Welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. Kavod Family exists for the restoration of families and the transformation of communities. Good morning and welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. This is Casey Wilson and we have Travis Shook. Good morning, brother. Morning, morning. We've got a special guest with us this morning. We brought in a good friend of ours. Uh, this is Robert Jessup. He's a local to our community. Good morning, brother. Good morning. Robert, uh, goodness, Travis, you were you were a student of his growing up. Did I catch that right? Yeah, it's – I'm trying to think like when – I started teaching in 2006. I don't think you ever had my class. Yeah. But I think we passed each other in the halls. So All the time. All the say, time. It's hard to miss the tall guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the hair he had in high school. Yeah, but you, you hear that? Hair. I had a curly afro. Truth, right? Truth. 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 I have pictures to bring yep. it. It's in the yearbook. It exists. Not anymore, though. Well, we wanted to bring Robert on because Robert is, um, not only is he a dear friend of ours, he has walked through so many things in life that relate to family and um, just impacting your community. He's a teacher locally here at the high school for the last almost 20 years, 18 years over Eight, there. 18 years this August. Way to go, brother. Thank you. I mean, come on. How, I applaud you. I don't know many men that have stuck out their own career. Let yeah. alone a teacher yeah, position absolutely. for 20 years. I was going to say, it hasn't always been the easiest. There, there were a couple years in there where it was like, hmm, <laughs> you know, 2020-ish. No kidding. Like, you know, mm. What's, what's going to happen? But And you're a, you're a local to Franklin, born and raised here? No. no. Oh, I didn't get that part. No. Okay. Dad was actually in the Army for 20 years. So we moved back and forth between North Carolina, Maryland, and Germany. Okay. So I think I've spent at least five to seven years of my life overseas. That's crazy. Um, you know, and dad's family was from North Carolina. Mom's family moved from Minnesota to North Carolina, settled in Hickory. So when dad was getting ready to retire, they were looking for a place to live. And they were like, hey, let's go to Hickory. <laughs> so we moved. Dad actually stayed in two more years overseas. So mom was a single mom with two teenage boys. Giddy up. Raising them, oh my buying the house, getting everything set up, and you know, man. Well, we're gonna draw out some more stories from you, Robert. People call you Robert. People call you Jessup. I mean, I've heard both of those thrown around. What do they call you at school? They call me Jessup. Do they? Yeah. Whenever somebody calls me Robert, I feel like I'm in trouble. I when you said Robert, I'm like, this is weird. I've always called him Jessup. Like it feels weird to me. Is, what is, is Jessup your middle name or, or no, what it's is last it? name? It's your last name. Yeah. And and so why did when did you start going by your last name? When I started teaching. Because I just graduated college, the kids were like, Mr. Jessup, Mr. Jessup. And I was like, no, 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 no. Mr. Jessup is my dad. You can call me Jessup. That's fine. And it just, it's stuck ever since. I want, I'm going to go by my last name. Henceforth, from now on, you must call me Wilson. You're, you're old man. That that's, is what it Casey is. is such, my parents gave me two, a, a first and a middle gender neutral name, Casey Ryan. It's Irish. It's about time to trade it in and just go by Wilson. I like that. But see, if you do it, it doesn't work. Someone's got to give you. Like his kids, the, the kids at the high school gave him that. You got to earn a name. I think old man's good. <laughs> I like that. I, mean, I have had kids that were like, what's your last name? And I was like, Jessup. And your Boom. parents named you Jessup, Jessup? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Robert. Well, um, all right. We'll call you Jessup. But Jessup, you and your wife have been through quite a bit. You've gone down the road of adoption. Like I said, you've been a school teacher, but you've also been involved locally with the Overlook Theater Company, which if you're local to Franklin, you know them, you've enjoyed their shows, and 
gosh, you guys continue to put on great shows. Yeah. How long have you been involved with Scotty and Nikki and Overlook? I started getting involved with Scotty and Nikki when I started teaching in 2006. Okay. So that's actually how I met my wife, Amanda. She was working backstage, helping set things up. Really? I had things. no idea of that. Um, she would come to the school because she was coaching gymnastics at the time, so she had time during her day. Um, she would go upstairs and help you know, make costumes, set pieces, props. Um, and it used to be the joke that I would go upstairs during my lunch period, you know, whenever she was around <laughs> and Scotty started to notice and made the comment. And then he's like, yeah, when you're not here, Jessup doesn't come upstairs to lunch. <laughs> so I was like, she picked up on it. Yeah. Pretty okay. quick. She's a smart one. And so that's how you got tied in over there and how you two met. Yep. Is she local to this area? She's from Florida originally, but okay. has moved up here. And I think she's spent over half of her life up here now. So you've done choir band theater where where did this all start did you did you know that you wanted to do this did you out of high school hey i'm doing this Uh, in high school i had a really phenomenal band director who poured into his kids gave everything he could into his kids supported them so i knew i wanted to do something music related and at the high school i went to in hickory you could do a student internship at a local elementary school to where one of your periods you could go and you could essentially see what it was like, participate, help the kids out. So I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Originally, it was a middle school. Yeah. Wow, like, that's mm. cool. That's a young age to know. Yeah, and I was like, middle school, maybe not so much. You know, elementary school, maybe. But band was always, always my thing. And then I had a friend who came up to Western. We came up to a football game, and their marching band is phenomenal. I was like, I got to come here for the band. <laughs> For no other reason. Up Ma- at Western? Yeah, up at Western. The mountains are great. What'd you play? What'd you play? Um, originally, I started off as a flute player. Then I went to the baritone and then eventually sousaphone in the marching band. But I graduated being an instrumental major on flute. Did you? I did. Are you one of those guys that can pick up an instrument and just start playing it pretty much? Piano, guitar? I mean, no. can you get, get around? Uh, no. I have to have like, give me like a week or so to get started and then we can. A week. That's I was going to say, that's, that's what it means. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I mean, I've been teaching choir for this long, and I still can't play piano to save my life like some of the other people can. Like <laughs> Abigail Crabtree will still come and play, you know, concerts for me, and I'm forever grateful for that. Right. That's not my forte. Gotcha. Oh, man. How long have you and your wife been married? We've been married, it'll be 12 years in July. All right. And so you've been teaching for 18, you've been married for 12? Married for 12. We dated say a year and a half, two years before that. Okay. So you were already over at the high school when you guys got married. Mm -hmm. Yep. So like I said, we met doing Overlook Theater. I was the dumb boy who took a while, you know, to (laughs) make the first connection and move and whatever. But I wanted to do things right with this one because she was special. So, you know, we took our time. We slowly started to court each other. Yeah, pursued her. Pursued, exactly. And then eventually... One of my high school kids was like, are you ever going to ask her out? <laughs> and at this point. Way to go. I was like, and at this point, we had been going out for like two months. And I was like, and so she subbed for my class one day. And I came in and I was like, hey, do you want to be my girlfriend? She's like, sure. One of your students called you out on it. Yeah. That you you still awesome. know him? You still relate with him? I don't talk to him that often, but I was like, you know, it's. Sometimes out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I they see it. It's, too slow. it's black and white. They're like, what, what, why aren't you moving? What are you doing? <laughs> that is awesome. 
That's so cool. All right. So where do you want to go first? Because I would love to pull some things out of you in regards to school as a teacher, but also family and adoption. I like, I like and the timeline. Care. Let's roll with the timeline. You want to do that? Yeah. Way? So high school choir, right? First started started off as choir. So when I graduated Western, I was a December graduate. I helped out a student taught at Franklin High School with Buddy Huckabee. So we have been, you know, almost 20 years knowing each other. Then in August of that year, I didn't have a teaching job. I applied for a couple of different places and it was, you're too young. You don't have the experience, you know, get the experience and you'd be great. Come back. And if you don't have the experience, how can you come back? Yeah. How does that work? (laughs) Um, So the choir position opened up at the high school and the way that our teaching certification works, I'm certified K-12 music. So I can teach middle, elementary, high school, choir, band, you name it, instrumental, anything. I said, I can do anything for a year. I have bills to pay. I got to do yeah, something. Let's just do it. Um, I was working at Drake Software at the time as yeah. a support person. I now know more about taxes than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> but it wasn't the passion. Yeah. So when this opened up, I was like... Let's try it. And 18 years ago, you know, I got in there, fell in love with it, met some of, you know, my best friends through it, some close connections. And it's amazing that how God worked that, you know, you don't see it in the time, but the doors that God closed with those other interviews was just setting it up for his timing. What was your relationship like with the Lord 18 years ago? I mean, where were you at when you started teaching? 18 years ago. I mean, you're 22. Or how old were you then? Late, mid-20s? We'll say mid-20. I think I was 22 when I graduated. Okay. Um, I knew the Lord. I was saved, but I didn't have a relationship sure. with the Lord. How do you do life with them? What does that even look like? Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, being in college. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. One, of, one of the other reasons I chose Western, it was two and a half hours away from home. So mom and dad couldn't just <laughs> surprise visit. Yeah. You know, they always would call on their way up, yeah. but they were right there when I needed them. So there wasn't a relationship. With the Lord. With the Lord. Yeah. Um, and then, it, again, it was a student who they were going to a little Baptist church and they said, hey. Why don't you come to church with us? And I was like, and these students are getting you. That's awesome. God has sent arrows after you. <laughs> and it was like, at the time, it was like, well, you know, I live in Silva, and I don't want to drive all the way over. Yeah. And then eventually it was, I would find reasons to come over and then stay because I would have to plan for the next week. And then I would just go to the school afterwards. So that started to grow the relationship. Yeah, I think it was after I graduated going to the small little, you know, Baptist church at the time. Here I am, this 22-year-old guy hanging out with the high school youth group. Yeah. But I'm getting more out of it. Absolutely. And I think I probably would have <laughs> yeah. gone any other time. That's so cool. We actually, Amanda and I got married at that church because it held that, you know, that, that much spot. weight. Yeah. You know, and it's just this picturesque little Baptist church, you know. The people are there. They brought you in. They loved on you. That's so cool. Like two of the biggest moments in your life so far have the push has come from a student. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Did you always have the hearts of your students? Like there's some teachers come on. We've all like I I went through a public high school. There's some teachers that the students just love and you see them drawn to them. They talk to them. They open up about their private life. They feel that connection to where they can be friendly like that and poke them and play with them and talk. And then there's some teachers you just bear with, mm. you grit through it. Everyone knows who they are. 
Like, do you feel like you had to have a learning curve to get your swagger in the high school, or did it just kind of happen? I think there was a little bit of a learning curve. Sure. And now some students will tell you, I'm totally not that way. Like, you can't, like, open up, relate, whatever. <laughs> um, but it depends a lot on the students themselves. Yeah. When I first started teaching, I had an audition choir of kids who wanted to come in. Like, they wanted to be part of this small group. And getting to see them grow through the four years helped to, you know, make those relationships. I saw them from freshmen through yeah, senior you, year. Like, they grew up with you. We did life together. Yeah. It was, you know, I was there for the hurts, the the good times, the bad times, the birthday parties. Facebook memories are awesome because – That's so cool. You know, they'll pull up memories of, like, having a birthday party that we had in class for, you know, so-and-so 16 years ago. And I was like, hey – I remember when that happened. Man, I've got a soft spot for teachers because I came to, to faith. Basically, my junior, senior year of high school, I started to notice. That's when God's drawing my heart. You know, like like you were saying, you start to see him aligning things. You're not aware of his hand. You really don't understand it yet. But there's things that have just become interesting to you. Uh, they stand out more. People that stand out mm-hmm. more. Uh, things that you're curious of, and it's not the things of the world. It's like drawing you closer to the Lord. And um, two of the people that were doing that in my life were one was a weight training coach and the other one was a wood shop teacher. And those two men, just the way they handled children, the way they talked to people, especially young men, the way they dealt with them, uh, the value that they put on a human being, like they spoke life into the children. They treated them like family. Um, They wanted to see me grow and develop. I had men pour into me, teachers that would invite me to their house and when you walk into a teacher's house and you meet his wife and his children and you sit at his dinner table, it's, it's changed. Like you've it's won different. my heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what they did for me. I mean, those are still some of the first impressions of, of people that showed me the Lord, that talked to me about God and opened up. So, man. Well, I think now we live in a society today where you have to be really careful with that. I know. Because there are so many people that have taken advantage sure. of it the wrong way. That now people see that as having an ulterior motive. Exactly. They don't see the other side of it. How do you – okay, so we weren't planning on going down this road, but let's do it. How do you do that as a teacher? You're talking about for six to seven hours a day, you're with these students. Five days a week, okay, you're with them more than most – more often than the parents. You're you're teaching them. You're teaching them about – Discipline and focus and faithfulness, not just school and curriculum. Like you're teaching them how to become adults, maturity. And yet, how do you do that without without stepping over and becoming personal? You you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I look at it as you have to know the person first. And I'm only going to get to know you as much as you're willing to let me know you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to push. I'm not going to pry but I'm going to be that person that if you come into my room and I can see you're having a rough day, hey, are you okay? Yeah. Do you want to talk? No. Okay. I'm here if you want to. And then if they do, you know, we we go through that steps. Yeah. We go through there. Absolutely. And it's, it's the reps of that. Like I can't tell you – I mean we've told the story of um, Chris who moved to Florida, but he was – 
imagine like my adult kid. He came into class and he was off in the corner, didn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> and at first we were polite. I made sure he's safe and I'd kind of slowly start to poke fun at him and I would get to know him and see him smile. And then at, at first I'd be like, quit getting in the corner, you little weirdo. Come over here in the middle. And we started to have a relationship. I mean, and from there he came over to eat dinner. But like I get what you're saying, like you, you really just – you make yourself available. You make them feel seen and heard, and and they're feeling loved in that. But you're not stepping over any boundaries, and then they become comfortable, and they see like, okay, he's the real deal. Like he just cares about me. Well, and one of the best things about my content that I teach with you know theater, choir, yearbook, whatever, I don't have a set curriculum, so I don't have a state standard that I have to teach this to this between these yeah. months. I have things that I have to kind of cover, like general topics, but I don't have like your math teacher that has to cover 600 pages of math yeah. in 90 days. So I have a little bit more leeway of relationship building. Relationship building. Yeah. We're having a rough day. Okay, we're going to take a group mental health day. You know, <laughs> it's fine. Let's put the stuff away. Let's just turn off the lights, turn on some chill music. Let's just sit and have a day. That's huge, and that in that you're—I mean—you're basically being dad. You're, you're teaching them how to be aware of that, how to self-regulate, how to slow down life, slow down the noise, and process what they're going through and what to do with that. You know, that's huge. Do you have um, quite a few students that you've stayed in relationship with after they graduate high school? I do. I guess the ones that stick around, it's easier, huh? Yeah, and like I said, some of my some of my best friends have come through my program, yeah. and as weird as that's probably for a teacher to say. Um, I have a friend who is going to Western now for physical therapy. You know, he'll graduate with his doctor in physical therapy, but he came into my class his senior year. But, you know, from then through now, you know, we've grown close. That's cool. Yeah. He's, he's uncle to my kids. I found that as soon as I graduated high school, I found like like God gave permission to make friends with people that were outside your age group. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden I'm drawn to people that are 20 years older than me. But there's there's a depth and there's relationship there and it's enjoyable and fun. Like there's life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And on the other side of that too, there are some that I wish that I could have stayed connected with, connected with better. Yeah. But as life, you know, happens and sure. comes in and comes and goes, it's it's harder to make those connections because again, being in those different life places, it's like I would love to come hang out with you, but I've got to put the kids to bed. And hang out with the kids. I've yeah. got to, you know, make sure that my wife is getting what she needs in her time. Absolutely. Instead of going out with the guys every single night. And what's cool is you're, you're providing a model for those young men at a young age, whether they realize that or not subconsciously. They're like, he went home to his wife. He went home to the kids. He didn't go out with the guys every night. He was taking care of them. I should aspire to do that one day. Yeah. It, it, you know, I almost think, That's too, huge. that we devalue. To be invited over to somebody's home when they're just there with their wife cooking a normal meal, doing the normal things of life, we almost think that's not enough. And yet it like it is in so many We've ways. We've talked about right? this so many times. Yeah. I try to get back to that. Like I've told I've told my wife, I'm like, hey, I want to have some of the guys, their wives over, the kids, but I don't want a event. Yeah. Like I want it to be like family coming, they walk in, they kick their shoes off. There might be some dog hair in the corner of the kitchen. Like, what? Like it's no big deal. Like, we're just going to eat together. They're going to bring some food. We're going to leave. And it's not this like, let's clean. Let's let like cook all the things and have all the fancy cups and bowls out and stuff. Like, let's just <laughs> hang out. And don't get me wrong. Events are fun and it makes people feel special. But also like when someone can come over last minute, 
bring over food, you cook together, you help clean up, you sweep together and you leave, like that feels more real and intimate. You help them with something that yeah. they're actually doing on their property. Or exactly. Like you, yeah, you join their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you become part of their family in that way. I'm just saying, exactly. You're doing life with them in the middle of life. It's not, we're putting life on hold for this Event. two hours yeah. Yeah. and then we're going to pull life back out. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit, because this year you start up, you take a new position this year. You trained for it last year under Penny Moffitt, right? I did. And what are you taking over this year? This year, I am fully taking over the yearbook program at Franklin High School. And I only did it because I could have that year with Penny (laughs) to learn the ins and outs. And Really, that was part of the agreement. If if she would train you for a year, then you would do it. That was part of it, because they came to me two years ago and said, hey, Penny is thinking about, you know, giving up yearbook. Are you interested? And I'm like, hmm. And funny story with that is a couple yearbook advisors ago when Mr. Buchanan had it, when he retired, I had offered to take yearbook over as well because they were looking for somebody. And they were like, oh, well, that's not going to work. You're, you teach totally different content. Yeah. I was like, okay. Then full circle, here we go now. You know, when they asked me about it, I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. But I was like, as long as I can have a year with Penny. Yeah, because absolutely. Because I'm not going to take over this. Flying by the seat of your pants. Because <laughs> it's a business. You're selling business ads. You're taking people's money. You're putting out a product. You are taking. You, you took our money last year. I did. You conned me for an ad. Well, I didn't take it. I he said that it. so confidently. I did. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> no, we were stoked. We actually got to put an ad in the yearbook. And it was it was awesome working with you guys. It was fun. And we, we try to make – and it's a good aspect for the kids to learn of how do you go into a business where you may not know right. anybody, introduce yourself, tell them what you're doing, why they want to be a part of – you know, why would Kavod family want to buy an ad yeah. in the yearbook? Yeah. It's a high school yearbook. What kids are going to look mm-hmm. – but they were able to come in, make their – Sales pitch, they can answer the phones. They can contact, you know, a business and say, hey, we don't have your ad yet. Can you give us your ad instead of having, oh, hey, Jessup, yeah. these 25 businesses haven't sent us anything yet. Will you contact them? Yeah. No, no way. It's your responsibility. It's your yearbook. Yeah. So as a, as a teacher and as a someone who walks with the Lord – what is it that you want to develop in your students throughout the year? I mean, here you have yearbook. You have the whole year with them, right? Whole year. And they're – what grade – can you be a freshman and be in yearbook? No, because we want to give you that year to adjust. So sophomore, junior, seniors? Yeah, so kind soft- of learn the culture too, right? Yeah, learn yeah. the culture. Learn where you fit in, you know, where your group of people is going to be. Yeah. Um, freshman year is hard anyway. Learning a new school, different buildings, all of that. So we give them sophomores, juniors, and seniors more of the opportunity to come in. And then that gives us a chance to learn some of the kids as well as to, okay, do you just want to do yearbook? And if you sign up for yearbook, are you in it for the whole year? Or is it like there's two semesters, right? Two there's, blocks? there's two semesters, and it really depends on schedule conflicts. Okay. Like I have some who can do it all year long, and then I have some who because they're taking other courses or – they have to hand the they baton. Have, they have to hand the baton, you know, midway through. Oh, I bet that's tough. You're it in it. You love it. You see the vision, and then you got to go. You're like, no. That's cool. But – and they're the ones that are also willing to, okay, I'm only here for four months. Yeah. So let me put in this four months of work. But then I can come back and give you 
so many afternoons to help out or to That's cool. keep working on it. So what is it that you try to develop in the, in the children while they're with you? I mean, personally, as you just sit down and process with the Lord and you're like, gosh, these are my goals. I know I got to produce a yearbook, but what do I love to see in children? What do I want to see take place in them? The number one thing would probably be that they have a sense of purpose, that they are here for a reason, that it's not just, oh, well, another day in your book. Okay, what are you helping to contribute to your right now? Yep. Or what are you helping to contribute to the theater class? You may not have 8,000 lines. You may have one line, but you are important in this moment, yeah. in this spot. You're not here randomly. There's a reason that you are put in this spot. Yeah, because theater, I took theater. Theater in high school is really like your first speaking mm-hmm. class, right? Yeah. Like, like it's a speech class in some ways. You take speech in college and you get into that. But in high school, they don't have it. So it's, a real, it's the first time you really get to stand up and present and talk and communicate. I mean, that's something that you got to develop in young, young boys and girls. And mm-hmm. when they catch it, it's awesome to see. And it's, and it's great because there are some kids, Buddy does the theater one kid, so he'll start the very basic kids. Yeah. So they'll go through him and then they'll come into my program and they'll come in and they're like, I don't want any speaking parts. And part of me is like, okay, so why are you taking theater? <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. Why are you here? But then to see those kids who maybe have the stage right, have the anxiety, who are excited when I have five lines. Yeah. I know my five lines. I'm important. That's so cool. And the... You see the lights, you know, shine in their eyes because at that moment they realized this was hard. I learned how to overcome it and now I can do it. And I love it. You start to understand that a lot of things that you're petrified of, once you discipline yourself to do it, you love it. Let me read you this um, psalm, this verse, because it speaks to sons and daughters. It speaks to children. And I just want your guys' take on it. You're a teacher. You work with kids all day long. It's Psalms 144. It's an awesome verse, but in verse or the whole portion is incredible. But in verse 12, it says, may our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. I read through this and, and it, if you know your own children, I know my own children. I look at them like, I hope one day that they become full grown. <laughs> like you can see, like we see their, their failures, right? We're just prone to look at weaknesses and failures in people. I think but this really convicted me because the scriptures give this this picture and it's a vision that I think father figures that teachers need to have for children. I think I think teachers have this because your role is to take a child from when they come in and get them to the point where they are more mature mm-hmm. by the time they leave. If they don't mature over those four years, it's kind of a failure, right? Yeah. And like I read that, I'm like, yeah, like I want to look at my children and think, okay, they're going to become a plant full grown. They're going to become that. My daughter's going to become filled with character and virtue and beauty. So that way she's a blessing in whatever room she walks in, she makes it enjoyable and fruitful. You you know what I mean? Yeah. And like I've told my own kids several times, I'm like, my responsibility as your dad is to help you be the best version of you that you can be. Maybe this moment wasn't that moment, <laughs> you know, but how can we fix? Oh, that's funny. How can we fix in this moment what happened? Okay, so you were angry and you did this. In the future when you're angry again, because it's going to happen again, how can we not 
do this and how can we make it better? So, all right, you brought it up. You, you introduced your children. Let's go down that road for a little bit. Are you all right with that? Yeah. I was, I was waiting on this a long time ago. Cause you I love I, this side. You and I share um, a similar path. Both of us have adopted children, mm-hmm. fostered and then adopted children. And neither one of us were able to have our own biological children. Nope. Right? Right. And so um, just tell us about your journey. How many children do you have? How long were you in the foster adoption program, all that? So we have five foster adopted children, um, two sets of families. We adopted two sets. They didn't all come together at one big joint. Two from one and three from the other? Two from one, three from the other. Um, It had always been on the hearts of me and my wife that we were going to foster and adopt and in dating and courting in you know, premarital, all this stuff, we always said it's, it's going to happen. Her sister and her father were adopted. So she had that in her family. One of my cousins was adopted. So it's always been that moment. Yeah, it's pretty, it's not foreign. It's yeah. Close. So, and then when we were looking at houses, we, you know, we were praying and said, God, if you provide it, you're going to fill it. And then little did we know how fast God was going to fill the house. I mean, you guys went into foster care. How many did you and your wife, were you like, okay, we'd like to have two kids. Is that what it was? Or, or did you have a, an idea in your head what was comfortable I, I think as a family? We, I think we had a number, but it's interesting because when you foster, they make you fill out these questionnaires and it's like his side, her side, and then you kind of combine together. Yeah. And I think I was like, I would love to have, you know, like seven to eight kids. <laughs> and she's like, I would like to have this many. And you sort of just combine numbers. I don't think that we've ever, you know, set a full number yeah. like, okay, we've reached this is complete. this amount, we're done. Ooh, so uh, more on the way. Well, and the only reason that we've currently stopped fostering is because North Carolina has said your house is full. Yeah. So your license oh, wow. is no longer eligible. So God needs to give you a bigger house. So, so we, need, yeah. we need to build on your house. <laughs> Casey, you build. Let's build. Dude, well, I'm, I'm for that. Well, and it's funny because my mom years ago was like, hey, I found this old nursing home that they're selling. You know how many kids you could put in that home? And I was like, yes. And do you know the bills that are going to come with that? She goes, but think of the, the kids. Yeah, there's that point where – because you know you have those groups that are full quiver. They're just like adopt as many as you can, gather as many as you can, get 20 kids because that's righteous and virtuous and that's what the goal is. But there's a balance in parenting to where if you're not effective as a parent because you just you, – there's too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have to be prudent and wise. There's that point where like like you have five children. Well, can we take on more and do it well? Mm-hmm. Can I parent well yeah. if we brought more into the home? You know, and every person and every couple has to answer that question and, and then figure out if God gives you five, you got to figure out how to become a good parent. Well, and like I said, and so we adopted the twins, Nathan and Nevaeh. Mm-hmm. They came to live with us in foster care when they were two. They had just turned two. We had just gotten our license finished in November, and they had always told us, if you were foster to adopt, it's going to take months, if not years. Be prepared to be waiting. We got a phone call. Hey, I have a perfect set of twins that I want you to meet, who they were already in foster care with another family, who was an elderly couple, and they said when the kids were big enough where they couldn't bathe them in the kitchen sink anymore, it was time to find another placement for them. So Nathan and Nevaeh had just turned two when we met them and then when they moved into our house. So we've had them, they will turn 10 in December. So they've been with us for, you know, eight years now. Uh, The other three, we had adopted Nathan and Nevaeh. Then 
the following March, I think it was like six months, maybe eight months later, because there's always that once you adopt, they put you on hold yeah. for a while. So you can learning curve. So yeah. You can learn, you can grow the family dynamics, whatever. Um, we received a phone call about two brothers who were currently, you know, in a situation that wasn't going well for them. They were in a group home and there were behaviors that just couldn't happen at the group home. And we're like, well, we don't really, we don't feel comfortable with three five-year-olds. Yeah. Trial by fire right yeah, there. It was, it was a five-year-old and a four-year-old. Yeah. And so we had talked about it. We prayed about it. And then Amanda and I decided that, okay, the following day, next business day, we were going to call and say, let's do it. Well, they called and said, well, what about just the five-year-old? And we said, we're not breaking up a sibling group. Yeah. So here we go, you know, two adopted, two coming into foster. And as they were dropping off Drake and Grayson, they said, yeah, I never want to break up a sibling group again. And we're like, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, they have a sister who just started kindergarten. And we're like, Huh. And they never told you about the sister. Never told us, yeah. you know, because they didn't want to scare us away at the time or whatever. But we're like, no, because we're not going to break up a sibling group because we had said we, as much as we could, would keep siblings yeah. together. Um, so she was in kindergarten in a different county, but she would come over, you know, every now and then for like weekend visits and we would do phone calls and we would eventually moving to the point of when she finished kindergarten – she was moving in just as well. That's so cool. So, so, so you had to you agreed to adopt two more, and you got a third on the on the way. Yeah, a fifth on the way. Yeah, never with the intention to adopt to begin with, but it always progressed in that way. Always just started fostering, going through the system, and you know. So, what has God taught you through this whole process of adoption? Because, you know, there's only like two percent of of people that get the. I think that's the right number that actually get to adopt someone and go through that process. It's mm-hmm. unique. It, it is unique. And we did have one where we just fostered for a short term, you know, and then they moved on to a different placement. Yeah. And that was hard even for just two weeks. Yeah. But getting to adopt, it's you learn, you learn so much about yourself as a person, as a father, as these are my triggers and I never realized that they were my triggers before the heart for the kids and the situations that they were in moving in or before they moved in, whether they realized them or not. Like I said, we've had Nathan and Nevea almost eight years and we're still learning, sure. about them. you know, triggers and this will, you know, this will happen or this will happen. And it's always, you know, you perseverance. There Dude. we go. Talk to parents. Imagine if there's a couple listening to this podcast and they are questioning whether or not they should adopt, uh, whether or not they should get into the foster care system. What would you tell them? What would you say to them? There's a lot to unpack there. There is. First of all, don't go into it lightly. Don't go into it thinking, okay, anybody can do this. Because you, it, not everybody can do it. It takes a very special group of people to let people come into their house to love on them for a while, knowing that there's always going to be a chance that you're going to get a phone call that, okay, they're moving or we're moving them to a different placement or, you know, the goal of foster care is always reunification with the parents. Right. 
And that, and that could happen at any moment. It could happen at any moment. It could happen, you know, whether you want it to or not. So don't go into it lightly. Like prepare your heart, prepare your, you know, emotions for those. Yeah, I've always said that I don't know how people foster and adopt, go through that whole process without the Lord. Mm-hmm. Because if I can't trust God to either reunite a child to a parent or to keep him in my home. Oh, man. Man, am I trying to manipulate the system or do you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's a big part of that where you have to, to become bitter so quickly. <sighs> so quick. Well, and like I said, and that's the big thing is, you know, guard yourself because you don't, you don't know everything about the situation of the child that's coming into your home. Yeah. You know what, what they, you've been told, yeah. but you don't know everything about what's going on. And it's hard sometimes not to make those, you know, brash judgment calls of, you know, well, they're in foster care, so it must be something that's super bad. Well, no. A lot of times the parent has given the child up because they knew that they couldn't take care of them and provide for them. So they did it for the good of the child. Tell us some of those moments where the children settled in and you looked at them and realized, okay, they're home. This is family. I'm dad. This is mom. They're home. When the twins first moved in, and it was really early in the fostering journey for us, I am the youngest in my family. So I've never had any little brothers, sisters, whatever. So kids have always been uncomfortable, you know, sure. around me. Like, I don't want to break them. I'm big. They're little, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I get that. Yeah. So moving to two-year-olds in who were nonverbal at the time. So you have to, like, you know, guess at what they're wanting. Right. They have their own language because they're twins. Like they're talking back and forth and they're laughing and giggling. And you're like, what did I do wrong? What's going on? <laughs> but no, I have a picture on my phone that I will always go back to. And it's Nathan was having a rough day, heavy, heavy, strong emotions. And he just, he finally just went to sleep. Yeah. But he's holding my thumb. And I'm like, here it is. This this is. And it's, you know, in the generation we live in, of course, it's like, okay, take a picture. Yeah. <laughs> Got to remember this forever because when he's 18, he'll deny it. Um, But looking at that picture, it's he felt safe enough to hold on to me. Yeah. Like I should be safe enough to hold on to the father. Yeah. And there are so many times in my life that I haven't. And I've had those big, strong emotions and those, you know, temper tantrums of life and. Gosh. Uh, What's going on? And then I realize, wait, I'm not holding on to who I need to be holding on to. Yeah, absolutely. We, we talk about that often because with, with children, you know, you can either look at the symptoms of what they're going through. So you start to deal with behavior or you start to deal with whatever happened to them, the trauma that they're a part of. Maybe you medicate that or what, what, however you want to treat those symptoms. But if you can restore the root issue of so much, which is family, which mm-hmm. is fatherhood. I mean, it is the core of 90% of the pains and symptoms that we have in this world come back to some relationship with mom and dad, mm-hmm. primarily some relationship with dad. And if you can restore that in a child, you start to see, I'm sure it wasn't long after he started to bond with you that how long did it take before they start communicating, talking? Oh, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty close after that. See what I mean? I mean, you go two years, you're not communicating at all. You're not talking, you're not learning to do that. You bond with dad, you bond with mom and dad, and all of a sudden that that like, how do we get this kid to talk? It starts to happen naturally. Mm -hmm. Like it heals. Well, and even with the older ones as well, you know, our oldest, we had a very hard time connecting 
for the for a while, and it was just I we don't know what it was, you know, past trauma, whoever yeah. knows. But finally, I took her out onto the porch and I said, "Look, my job is to love you. My goal is not to hurt you. You know, I don't. That's never my intention. Will you get disciplined? Yes." But my goal is never to hurt you. And she opened up about so much. That's so cool. And now we had a situation a while back and she's like, you said you would never hurt my feelings. And I said, no. (laughs) I said I would never hurt you. That was never my intention. I'm going to hurt your feelings because I'm a human. Yeah. But that has opened up our relationship. Yeah. And that, like I said, that was the oldest. And we adopted them in 2020. So it's like we're like I said we're still, still learning fresh and we're still learning and Three we're still years figuring yeah. out and it's it's never you're never ever going to I think have everything figured out. No, but what you've done is 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 you've connected them back to the source of life that they needed, right? Mm-hmm. It's like with God, even when we restore our relationship with him, everything is not immediately figured out. Like there's so many things that we have to flesh through and work out of our system and character and you know, like sanctification is a process. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing journey, but at least you're now connected to the very one that can help you through those things. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what you gave a child. You gave them a home, you gave them a mom and dad, the thing that God intended for them to have from their childhood, the thing that would help them grow up and become that mature plant that, that Psalms one forty four talks about. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Well, I know we need to wrap this up. It's been 40 minutes, but Jessup, man, dude, we appreciate all that you're doing for our community. Thank you, guys. 20 years. Uh, what do you got, another 20 years over there at Franklin High? Probably. The youngest just <laughs> turned eight, so I at least got to do 10 to, <laughs> plus college. See so. them off. Yep, yeah. yep, I got gotcha. you. But at least you know that. Like going in, you know, okay, all right, this is going to be my legacy. I'm going to become the best teacher I can possibly be, mm-hmm. be, right? Yeah, at least at least try to be. Like I said, there are some that like would question that, but. <laughs> <laughs> My goal going in every year is going to be how am I going to make this year different than the last and how am I going to help these kids realize that, again, they have a place. They are they are unique. They are special. They belong here. Yeah, that's huge. All right. Well, enjoy your day, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the Kavod Family Podcast. Please like, share, and leave us a review. If you've enjoyed this content, or if you're familiar with some of our programs and partners in the Kavod Family Network, please consider becoming a donor at Kavod Family slash donation. God is in the process of restoring all things to himself. That begins with a person. That person is part of a family, and that family belongs to a community. Vote Family is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry.